Hello and welcome to another episode of Life Changes You. Um, it's good to be back and uh, today I have Ron Wilson with me. We're going to change things around a bit today and Ron's actually going to interview me because a few people have asked me questions about what I've done in my life, blah, blah, blah. So I thought it would be more interesting if I have a conversation with Ron and he can get those bits out of me. So hello, Ron, how are you? Oh, good day, Dan. Yeah, it's good to catch up, mate. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, no, no, I'm really looking forward to having a bit of a talk about um, about your history and where you've come from. We've known each other now for, oh, close, what, be about 20 years, would it be? I reckon it's over that now, probably 20. 23, 24. Yeah, no, it's been, a, and we'll find out as we're talking through about what those connections are, so it's good. Well, we're going to be talking about you a bit, Dan. Yeah. So, tell me. Tell me a bit about um, about your background as a child, because you came from the UK. Yeah. yeah, so we moved here when I was 11, because in the UK, work was drying up for my dad, who was a builder and renovator. Um, and so we moved here just before I turned, I think it was just before I turned 12. Um, and life here was a lot different to what it was in England. We lived uh, right on uh, like the main high street. So lots of people walking around, lots of noise. And then to Eltham, Victoria, Australia which was really quiet. Although when we left England, I'd watched Storm Boy and I actually thought I was going to be, you know, like friends with a pelican on a beach or something. Yeah. And Skippy, they were the only Australian shows we'd watched. Yeah. 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 And the family, who, was, who came over from England with you, mate? So my mum, my dad, my sister Amanda and then... And then my sister Debbie stayed in England. She got married. You see, yeah, yeah, but she came over a little bit later on? Uh, yeah, she came over when she was 27. So when we left, she was 19. Yeah. So eight years later. Yeah. And with your dad, what, what, what did your dad do when he came over? Uh, he started doing landscape design because he had to resit some exams to be a builder here. Mm. Um, and he decided he didn't want to do that. So he just carried on with landscaping, concreting, driveways, things like that. Yeah, And you worked with your dad for a little while. Yeah, when I was 15, I left school. I'd had enough of school. And the reason I'd had enough of school was because in the UK, I was like two years ahead of what I was when I got here to Australia. So I was two years ahead in maths, English, French. And so I fell behind because I got bored. Mm. So for two years, I was doing things I'd already learnt. Um, and so by the time I got to 15, I'd sort of fallen behind then. But it was because... I'd already learned all this stuff and I kept saying to the teachers, I know this, I don't need to do it. Yeah. And they're like, no, you do need to do it. This is what you do for your age. Yeah. Well, I'd done it two years earlier in, in the UK. Yeah. 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 So you worked with your dad? Yep. What were you doing with your dad? So at first we were concreting, brick paving, driveways, backyards, stuff yeah. like that. Uh, then he built a house in Eltham. So because the block of land was so big, he subdivided. Mm -hmm. And so he built the house, but I helped him. Yeah. Um, and... Yeah, that was in Pitt Street, and that was back in 1986, 87. Mm -hmm. And then we moved to Montmorency and then built again. Yeah. Now, your work, you didn't stay working with your dad. You started to go into a range of different things. Yeah, you? yeah. You worked in plenty of different ways. So tell us about your work history, where you've been and what you've done. So when I turned... Oh, I would have been 18, maybe 19. When I turned that age, uh, mum and dad, we'd built the second house. So mum and dad sold that and then they went back to the UK for nine weeks, mm. 10 weeks. And so a friend of theirs said, do you want to come and work for me uh, working in disability? Yeah. And I thought, all right, I'll give it a go, see how it is. And back then you had two days on, two days off. So you worked a 13, two 13-hour 13 shifts and then you had two days off. So for me, that was brilliant. 
it was great because mm. you had lots of time off. You only worked two days and two days off again. Yeah. And you also worked. You you, you worked in the in the acting industry. You, the, yeah, yeah. yeah. I started acting. Yes, I uh, I did a couple of uh, amateur productions, uh, yeah. uh, musical theatre, and then I became the barman on Neighbours, which ran for nearly two years, I think. Yeah. Um, and lots of other bits and pieces. I did extra work in. I also worked at three PBS radio station uh, and had my own show on. I think it was on ten till twelve on a Monday night, uh, yeah. which was alternative music. Um, I did some club promotion at the time. Um, lot, oh, and I had my own fashion business as well. I was making clothing and some of the clothing was used on Neighbours and uh, some was used on a couple of cartoon shows. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's go back to the disability area because that's yeah. going to be an important area for you that you've moved into now. And that's where we first met in actual fact was working with, you were working at a house in, in Reservoir supporting... Yeah. Three kids with disabilities there. Tell us, where did you go from from working with Kingsbury to, to, to start now working in disability support and working with people in the in the houses? So, look, at the, uh, I mean, I, I pretty much moved everywhere through disability. I started working at Kingsbury Training Centre. Then I was offered a part-time position in a house in, in Bandura. And then from there I went to, when they closed a big... Um, Oh, what do you call it, like a big training centre called Sunbury. Yeah. They opened up a new unit, which was all males at Kingsbury. So I, I got a full-time position there. And then after a while, I got moved from there to what's now called Statewide Forensic, which was for people with mental health issues or people with a disability who'd done a crime that were at mm. the, uh, the Queen's Pleasure, Governor's Pleasure. Yeah, Governor's Pleasure, yeah. Um, so I worked with those, and that was pretty full-on. Um, then from there I moved back into the dormitories and then, mm. oh no, then I started working with Cam and Tim cause I was with them for 20 years. Yeah. For 20 years. you yeah. Now, When we started to have this conversation, you talked about, oh, I worked at Kingsbury, it's going to be great. I had two days on, two days off at Fiddler Patton. But since I've known you and over that period of time, there's something more than just doing it for two days on and two days off. There's a real passion. Oh, definitely. That's come into working. Yeah. Well, tell us about how that passion dri has, has driven you. Look, I think, look, I've always had a passion for helping people and working in disability, uh, I've always seen the best in the person with a disability and also seen the side of people that is um, non-accepting. So for me to help people become more accepted in society, we have changed quite a bit, but I still think there's a long way to go before people, some people still fear people with a disability, like what are they going to do? Uh, and I think that's because of stories we've heard in the past. Uh, look, I like to say it's like, uh, if someone goes, if a white man goes out and shoots two people, we go, oh my God, that man shot two people. If someone goes out who's got schizophrenia, who's a white man and shoots two people, people go, oh my God, all schizophrenics are like that. And I think it's the same in disability. If you have a person with a disability who might have a behavioural issue where they might attack someone, then they go, oh, everybody with a disability does this. Mm. And we need to change that perception because it's not that way at all. Mm. So when the white man shoots two people, we go, oh man, shot someone. But, you know, when it's schizophrenia or when it's a disability, people link it to that thing and go, that's how they all are. So it's... Um, the labelling? And stereotyping. And stereotyping, yeah. yeah. So I've always wanted to make people more accepting of people with disability and also help people with a disability accept themselves more and not feel like they are 
lower than other people or that they're not as good as other people. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was really when uh, the two boys I became guardian for, Cam and Tim, when their mum passed and I became their guardian and I saw all the things that they were up against unless they had a guardian to stand up for them and voice what they wanted, it was as though they could just be pushed into any position that whoever was looking after them decided to do mm. because it was what suited them rather than what sort of suited the person with the disability. Mm. So that's when I became quite vocal about how to change people with a disability. And that's how I started my own business because I wanted to help people with a disability to be able to communicate better, have friendship circles that when their parents or families pass on, they've still got people they can rely on and that they no longer feel alone and they don't feel like they have to talk to their parents. They've got their own peer group. Mm. Um, and we've seen some amazing changes in my business with people with disability, just being able to vocalise what they want to talk about mm. and, and not feel as though they can't say what they want. It, now, starting off your business, because again, it, it hasn't been easy to start a business and start that direction. You've started that from your own ideas and scratch from the start. Yeah. Tell us about those early years and trying to get the business started and what the challenges were for you in, in, in trying to realise this idea that you had. Um, well, I think, you know, look, I had a few knockbacks and and I've also had illnesses. One of them is fibromyalgia, which can make you have times in your life where you're exhausted and you just can't do anything. Mm. And it's still, it's still got a long way to go before I think most people understand what fibromyalgia is. Um, but I was going through a stage where I was really tired, really ill, but I was still going for job interviews because I'd left one job and I wanted to go for something different. And I kept getting knocked back, being told, oh, you're overqualified, you won't stay. Oh, you're overqualified, you won't stay. Um, and so that actually made the fibromyalgia worse because then I started feeling depressed that I couldn't get work. So while I was sick, I started thinking, well, what can I do that can change things for people? And mm. In Australia, the National Disability Insurance Scheme had come into play where there was funding for anyone with an, an intellectual disability especially uh, to be able to connect with programs and places that they wanted to rather than all just being pushed into different settings. Mm. Uh, so what I wanted to focus on was how they could communicate and be listened to. And that comes from being the guardian for Cam and Tim. I knew there was a need for it. And it's funny because now when I see some of the other places around us, some of the ideas I came up with a couple of years ago, they're now starting to implement them into their programs. One, for instance, is that they would take all of school holidays off throughout the year. So they would be closed for 10, 12 weeks a year. Mm. This year, they're not. They're only closing for four weeks at Christmas, like my business does, because my idea was... These guys are adults. They're not children, so why should they have to take holidays when children take holidays? Yeah. They can take holidays when they want to through the year and will be open. Mm. Yeah. How about for yourself too, because, again, you've had to develop and refine and develop skills to be able to undertake this sort of a role of set your yeah. business going. So you've undertaken, of course, you studied in counselling and all those. Sort yeah. Of, tell us about your planning and your thinking about how you prepared yourself for working in this business? Look, I think the years that I spent in disability uh, were amazing to understand people's behaviours and, and why they have behaviours, why they lash out. Then doing the counselling, you actually understand why the things happen in someone's head, why they trigger emotions, why they feel different ways and why those behaviours happen. 
when you put those two things together, well, it's a really amazing combination yeah. because once you understand the person with a disability and the behaviour that's going on in their head, you can really understand and empathise what they're going through and why they're lashing out, why they can't communicate. That's the behaviour. How can we get you to communicate better? And that's what I look for, how we can get them to communicate better. And I don't think there's many people around that have both mm. in their hands. So when you've got both together, because people, look, I've taken people with a disability to see psychiatrists and psychologists and they've spoken to me and not the person with a disability mm. and I've gone hold on a sec this is the guy who's yeah. paying you talk to him oh, I don't know how to talk to him you've just studied seven years of communication and you mm. don't know how to talk to someone who can speak to you but it might be at a lower level than what you're used to mm. oh yeah can you tell me what they want to know no so that's when I thought, well, this is really important that you have someone who understands what this person's saying and how I can work with them. Mm. So it's good. Yeah. Who've, who have you brought in as part of your team? You know, and I don't mean your immediate team, but who have you brought in as your resources of the people who are supporting you as you go through this process? Since it started, I work with really well with people. So I'm a really good people person. Um, and so I've made some really good allies, friendships yeah. with people in the NDIS system that a lot of other people say to me, oh, how did you become friends with them? Mm. Well, you talk, to, you call them, you talk to them, you tell them what your business is about, why you're important, why you're different to everybody else, what you're going to do. Yeah. Then you also get the testimonials from the parents. And I don't think we've had any parents who have said, this isn't working. Mm. It, it might work in a small way. It might work in a huge way. So there is a really big group of people that you can... Seeking your network. Yes. Extending is really and, and what you network. find is people who are now starting new businesses, they don't call up and ask, how did you do that? Mm. They say, can I have your database yeah. and I go no that takes a long time and a lot of work a lot of hours on the phone a lot of going to meetings and meeting people yeah. and building up that trust with them as well yeah. because once people trust you and they understand what you are doing they're more likely to come back to you but these people are people who are just like oh I want to start a business how do I get them well you can't just get them yeah and your story is is that the work that you spend in building those networks establishing those relationships are really the crux of where your success is going to come from. Yeah. It's going to come from that, not from the quick wins. No. no look, nothing in life comes quickly. Yeah. And I think we live in a time where there's a lot of people who see things like, I don't know if American Idol's still on or X Factor, but those sort of things, they go, I want to be a pop star. Mm. And then you've got the other person who at 13 started learning to play the guitar and they might play a couple of chords every day for a year and gradually get better. Yeah. And they build themselves up. So... That's the that that's where you need to be. You need to be the person who works hard for it and mm. thinks about it, and it becomes you, yeah. not just all oh, this is my idea. Yeah. Dan, I want to bring back a couple of threads of things that we've talked about, um, and one is I want to bring back um, the fact that you've worked with your dad, but yeah. your dad's passed away recently. Yeah. Um, and I know that your sister Debbie passed away many years ago, and that's been a really significant. Um, touch point with you as well yeah. too in terms of those experiences. What I'd like to do is just ask you about how does your work and how has your work gone in relation to you dealing with, if I use that term, yeah. your father's passing? When I look at it, I, I see it in a few different ways. In one, I see it that my dad had just turned 84 and I think for the last three, maybe five years, in my head I'd been preparing myself for what happens if mum or dad pass away. Now, that doesn't mean that I've actually 
come to terms with it, but I think I was more accepting that that was going to happen at some stage. With my sister, she died when I was 34 and she was 42. That hit me a lot harder, a lot longer, Mm. because um, it was unexpected. Mm. And, you know, you grow up in life thinking where your grandparents go, then your parents go, then you lose your brothers or sisters. Mm. And for her to be taken out at such a young age, that shocked all of us. Mm. And with Dad... I don't really know how to put it into words. I feel sometimes guilty that I haven't given it the time I need to to process what's happened. And studying counselling, I know the keys to grieving and what steps you're supposed to take. And the other night I was sitting there going through them going, well, I haven't done that yet and I haven't done that. But then I thought, well, it doesn't matter if I haven't done it. They'll come. And if they don't come, then maybe I have processed it. Mm. And it's not that I need to cry to have accepted it. Mm. It could be that I have accepted it. Um, But then again, in three months' time, six months' time, it might hit me. Mm. Since Dad's passed, there's been a lot of things to, you know, like when someone dies, there's all the funeral to do. Then there's uh, my mum is not that well with Parkinson's and she's 80, so myself and my sister have been running around doing a lot of stuff for her, organising stuff there. Uh, My business is going through a bit of a growth spurt at the moment, so there's been a lot there. Um, so it, it might be that I'm, I'm bringing in more work to do at the moment to block it out, or it could be that work has come at the right time to help me go through what's going, what I'm going through. Yeah. And it it brings up that challenge that there are so many things that do happen that that, that the confluence of all those elements are important. So the question comes back to you in terms of how are you preparing and what ways are you thinking about preparing yourself as you're facing the growth in the business? The needs that come from family, um, yeah, addressing or coming to, 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 to sense with the grief, uh, the grief that may be there or not. Yeah. How are you preparing yourself and what are you doing for yourself in that situation? Look, in the last few years, I've sort of become a bit more of a, I think, an idea through and within a week I'm putting that idea into uh, a formal process. Mm. Um, I used to stay a lot more just sitting on it and wondering whether I should do it. Um, And to be honest with the grieving, I I don't really know where I am at the moment. I do have a lot of people around me that I know if I needed to, I could call up and they would be there to support me, whatever happened. Mm. If I fell apart, they'd come and help me get back on my feet. Um, All I can do is take each day as it comes. Yeah, but the key message is you've you've worked and built up the networks that you have now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you've built these networks in the professional sense, in the private sense, and in all those areas, uh, which is a really important strategy, and that's what you're doing for your clients now, isn't it? And look, the thing is, when Dad did pass, uh, the amount of love I got, not only from friends and family, but also from parents of participants I have, and the participants themselves... um, you know, I felt like I was sort of almost put into bubble wrap by all these people around me while I had to organise a funeral with my mum and my sister. Everybody was always reaching out saying, are you okay? Can we do anything? Do you want to go out for dinner? Do you want to have a laugh? You know, there was always someone there making sure I was okay. And, And as you say, yeah, having a good network like that, is a great support. And I guess it is like bubble wrap. Your Mm. network is your bubble wrap because you know, you can fall into it when you need to. Mm. If I focus on your business again and coming back, and as you're saying and you're telling us is that the business is really growing yeah. at this stage. The energy that's coming from within the group is yeah. is exciting. 
What are you thinking about your next steps in terms of your business? What what's what, what are the next steps that you've got in terms of, of of building the business of of recording what you've achieved in your business? Well, the next step is to offer a different range of programs in a different uh, environment. So I, we're looking at the moment at opening up a second site. So a second site where I could offer, not myself, but have staff in to offer cooking facilities and things like that to teach people with a disability how to be more independent and on their own so they can live on their own. What I find is in a lot of group homes, the idea was when they first moved into them, let's make them as independent as they can, then we can step back and they, three, four, five people living in that house, will basically be able to run the house themselves with staff in the background. Mm. Well, that never eventuated because I think a lot of staff think it will be quicker if I do it. Mm. And yeah, it is quicker, but the person with a disability is quite capable of learning what they need to do. Mm. And I think you find in these houses people who have learnt skills actually lose them because other people jump in and take it, take over. Mm-hmm. So if we can create um, an environment where these people, with not these, with these people, with the people that we have at the moment that are our participants, if we can teach them how to do uh, life skills like cooking, cleaning, stuff like that, they can be a lot more independent. And it might be that they can't do a lot of things, but the more we encourage, the more we help them to grow, the more their self-esteem is boosted and they feel a lot better about themselves and they feel happier in their life. Mm. There's no reason why they can't do... Look, when I'm at work, I say to these guys that I work with, male and female, look, there's no difference between us. You have an intellectual disability. I have an illness, which is a disability, which can make me bedridden, can make me so I can't get up, I can't come to work. I said, but together, we've all got our disabilities, but we've all got abilities that we can work with. So we all work together. And some things might work, some things might not. But if they see me fall, they realise, well, we're all the same. Mm. So in terms of your business, what are you using as your indicator that you're doing a good job? What we're doing now is we're creating goals with the participant of where they want to be and how they can get there and then we're asking them how we can help them and how people outside of our business can assist them like family friends stuff like that so that we're not only monitoring what we're doing and how we're doing that but also are their family stepping up and doing what they said they would do Mm. so that we're all working congruently to make sure that this person is surrounded with the same ideas and it's not like we're doing this but home's going oh you never do that Mm. so we all work together and that's the best way we can get the best Mm. outcome Mm. so if we keep monitoring that weekly so each week we write progress notes so we know where we've got to then we can work out where we're going to get to and if we need to change it we just modify it yeah yeah You, you need to work with a range of other Um, agencies, how do you communicate with those agencies about the work that you're doing? That's one of the things at the moment we're looking for we need to look at new avenues because in the disability sector there's a lot of bigger day programs that sort of swallow up nearly everyone and for us to get noticed it's a lot harder. However we've become known as the boutique business with the big heart great which is good oh what a great yeah what a great grab and, and that was from a local area coordinator yeah. who said look i tell everybody about your business she said i know i'm not supposed to but i do because you guys really get things yeah. done um so yeah that that's what a great grab yeah yeah it's it's look and i i don't see myself as going to work anymore i see it as 
it's just an amazing day. Yeah. And people who have come and worked with us just on the odd shift when I've said, look, I really need someone to help me today. Can you come in? They've gone away going, wow, what an amazing job. I didn't yeah. even feel like I worked today. And I go, no, but that's it, isn't it? Because you're helping them communicate. Yeah. And when we get these little bits of information from participants, and I was talking to you before we came on, I have a guy who's got quite severe OCD, um, finds it really hard to make friends. He's been with us about six weeks now. And yesterday when we were out at lunch, I said to him, so what's one of the best things that we've we've been able to help you with? And he said, you've brought me out of my shower. I had no friends. I had no one to talk to. I didn't know how to talk to people. He said, but now you've taught me how to talk to people, how to have fun with people and how to laugh. Mm. Now that's brilliant. Mm. If we can do that for one person and we can multiply that, Imagine how many people with a disability are going to start feeling better about their life. Yeah, no, yeah. exactly right. Um, Dan, I'm going to close off with, with probably the last question. We've covered quite a lot of space about what's important in terms of driving you, getting where you are, the challenges that you've faced in getting your business up, the, the, the rationale or the driving force, the passion for dealing with people with disabilities. I'd like to just conclude just to get from you, what is the key message you would like to pass across from this podcast to all the listeners? Um, I would like to put across that I started the podcast because I wanted people to start believing in themselves and to also be more compassionate with other people around them and more understanding. And when I started it, the interviews were with normal people so that people could listen and go, well, I relate to that because I'm a normal person like that person. So I would really like people to support each other to support definitely people with disabilities or mental health issues, uh, not see mental health as something that's stigmatising, that it, it is normal to have anxiety, depression. I'd love the media to put everything in a more positive light rather than only just focus on, like I was saying before, you know, stereotypical, you know, don't focus on one group of people. Make mm. it more acceptable because, yeah, the news is there to cause fear, or mm. so I believe. Um, whereas we, we could see people in a completely different light if we are more accepting and, and help someone. If you give someone one little bit of help today, tomorrow that could change their whole life around. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Dan. It's been delight talking it's with you, It's been great mate. talking to you, yeah. Ron. Yeah. I hope everybody liked that, and yeah. we'll see you next time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, that was another episode of Life Changes You. If you want to contact us, we're available on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we also have a website, lifechangesyou.com.au. So until next time, take care of each other, and thanks for listening. Yeah.